Welcome to Raiders on the Record, the podcast featuring Hastings High School Athletics. I'm Athletic Director Trent Hansen. My colleague Tim Hanneberg and I work together to bring you the stories of Raiders sports. We are thrilled to share conversations with the athletes, coaches, and alumni that represent Raider Nation. Check back weekly and be sure to share this podcast with your friends in the Raiders Network. Dan Campbell is a 1996 Raider graduate. During high school, he competed in cross country and Nordic skiing. In cross country, he was a four-year varsity letter winner, three-time all-conference, a section champion, and took 15th at the state tournament during his senior year. In Nordic skiing, Dan was a four-year letter winner, four-time all-conference, two-time region champ, and took third at the state tournament his junior and senior year. The Nordic team also qualified at the state tournament during his senior year. After high school, Dan got, Dan got involved in the biathlon and trained at Northern Michigan University. Throughout the next four years, Dan made a variety of teams and major competitions, ultimately making the 2002 biathlon Olympic team. Dan competed at the 2002 Olympics in Salt Lake City, competing in the 20K individual race and the four-person relay. Dan currently lives in Bozeman, Montana with his wife and two children. All right, here we are with Dan Campbell. Dan, to get us started, uh, let's get some background information on you. So let's start at the beginning. Let's hear about your family, uh, your mom, your dad, any brothers or sisters, extended family. Uh, did you always live in Hastings? Did you eventually move to Hastings? Give us what that snapshot of you growing up uh, looked like. I always lived in Hastings. I was born in Minneapolis, but that's just because that's the hospital my parents chose. They have been in Hastings in the same house since 1973. They're still there. And they're Wayne and Gladys Campbell. And I have one sister, her name's Melissa. She graduated class of 2000. And we were the only family we had in town. We had grandparents in Invergrove Heights and also near Albert Lee. And my sister, Melissa, she also ran cross country, cross country skied and ran track during her time in Hastings. Nice. Uh, so next thing we kind of like to hear too is about the schools you attended when you were in Hastings. Uh, if there are any teachers, uh, they still might be around or might be alive if you want to give yeah. any kind of shout outs to those teachers too. And uh, yeah. I can make sure I send it out to them so they kind of hear what kind of impact they had on you. So uh, let's hear about your graduation year first. And then if you want to go through the schools you attended in Hastings, and once again, any teachers that really stood out to you and, and had a big impact on your life, uh, kind of like hearing about that too. Sure. I graduated in 1996. And I started at Pinecrest for elementary. And then I went to the old middle school. So across from Todd Field, and then I went to the old high school too, which is now the middle school, from what I understand. Mm -hmm. And teachers that were some of my favorites would have been Cliff Jacobson. He was a middle school science teacher. He was uh, really into canoeing, and I think he still is, and he's probably about 80 now. Mm -hmm. uh, 
He's written several books, but he also would just show us that we could get out in nature, even right around Hastings. He would take us canoeing out at Lake Rebecca and Lake Billsby and places like that. And uh, I also really enjoyed high school science teachers, uh, Al Todnam. We had a course called Field Biology where we were able to meet in the zero hour and go outside and work on science experiments. And that got me going into uh, what I studied in college, which was land rehabilitation with a focus on invasive plants. Nice. Well, that's perfect. Anyone else that maybe stood out to you too? Well, obviously my coaches through all those years and for cross country running, it was Dwayne Minert and, uh, and Mr. Hansen was what we called him. We, I don't know if we even knew his last or his first name. Uh, and then of course, John D wall and Rick Wheeler, the cross country ski coaches and track. We kind of had different head coaches, but we had a distance coach and I always ran the long distance races in track and, uh, his name was Dennis Carlson Ryu and he was great because he ran with us for every practice. He couldn't quite keep up on the speed days, but he was out there running long distance with us all the time. I know not didn't prepare you this for this, but, um, obviously thinking about that, a coach that is out there with you and uh, going through the practices with you at the time, what did that kind of feel like for you? Um, you know, cause a lot of times, you know, coaches are on the sideline, maybe barking a little bit or, you know, just off to the side. So what did it, what did it kind of feel like when he was actually in there with you, practicing with you and kind of being there alongside you during those practices? We really respected him for doing that because it showed that he was willing to do what we were doing. And we also had a chance to get to know him better mm -hmm. because it wasn't just a coach saying, go do this, do this other workout that was good or that was bad. It was, it was more than that. We had a chance to learn from him. He was a marathoner, which didn't have a whole lot of uh, relevance for us at that time, because we were running uh, one mile, two mile, 5k yeah. distances, but it was just nice to have uh, a solid person out there to bounce ideas off and and it gave us the idea that we could continue to run even after we were done with high school. It didn't have to be always competitive. It could just be a passion. For sure. Looking back on your life then, uh, this is a sports podcast. We, we focus around mainly sports. So what do you think one of your earliest or one of your best sports moments was growing up? I think probably playing baseball in the little league, the Hastings Youth Athletic Association. It just was a, such a low barrier to entry. It was low key. You could just play baseball and it was 
no judgment. Everybody got to play. We ended up finding our roles where we did best for the team, even in first, second grade. Mm -hmm. But it just was so much fun for me to get to play with my friends and meet other people that it started me on the right track for positive thoughts about athletics. Gotcha. Last question then for the background info. I always bring this up. Uh, a lot of our first jobs for some of our guests was detasseling corn. So I don't know if that was you and it sounds like the worst job of all time, but what do you, what was your first job growing up that you can remember? It was not detasseling. I know a lot of guys got on the bus to do that though. Uh, for me, my best friend in middle school and high school was Nick Clare and his parents while we were in high school, bought the Mississippi Bell restaurant. So right underneath the bridge, mm -hmm. uh, just the first start of the block, uh, first building or start of the building on 2nd Street there. And he needed dishwashers. So we became the dishwashers. And it was only on the weekends, but it was a great job because we had fun people to work with. The chefs were crazy people. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that was a, a good gig. Nice. Uh, so then getting into your, your life growing up, um, start at the beginning here, kind of talk about the sports you played growing up. And then I typically like to stop at maybe around sixth, seventh grade, middle school, uh, kind of later middle school. That's when people seem to kind of start narrowing down their sports. Uh, get sure. a little more serious with their sports as well. So what what kind of sports did you play growing up? And then um, what years did you play them? And then, like I said, we could kind of stop when we get to that middle school uh, ages and uh, we'll, we'll go from there. Yeah. So I started playing soccer and baseball and that was probably in kindergarten. Uh, I just was looking for anything that I could do. And I wasn't really into swimming, so I didn't go that route, but it was soccer and baseball every year there. And once I got a little older, then we had the football option, played flag football for a couple of years around fourth, fifth grade, I would say. And also volleyball and basketball in those years. That was around the time I realized I wasn't going to get tall and I could only take the three pointers for so long. And that was right into about sixth grade that I was playing basketball. I was done with football at that point, and I finished up soccer and baseball. Gotcha. So then we get to the middle school. Did you pick up any new sports? Uh, what did that all look new, like when you finished out uh, middle school? I picked up all new sports somehow. <laughs> I don't even know how it how it happened, but I ended up at the cross country meeting, probably the first week of middle school. Uh, there were some other kids there. I had always been pretty decent running the mile for gym class. And I thought I'll try this cross country thing. And from there, it, it just took off because the team was really inviting even the upperclassmen. They were like big brothers when I got there. Uh, 
pretty much from the first day. And so I was on the cross country team starting in sixth grade. I didn't start cross country skiing for the team until seventh, but I did run track in sixth grade also. Gotcha. So let's start in ninth grade then. Uh, let's go through every single year. I typically, I ask the people, whoever our guests, if they want to break it up in different ways, if you want to go through one sport and talk about your ninth through 12th, um, that sport and any accomplishments and kind of break down each year, that's great. If you want to take it year by year, uh, let's hear about that as well. So let's start in ninth grade. Uh, what kind of sports did you do? Any major accomplishments for the team, individual, any kind of major things to talk about? So let's start in ninth grade and go through uh, every sport and every year. Yeah, so... Ninth grade cross country, I was kind of on the boundary between JV and varsity. And the team was very strong at that point. Uh, a lot of upperclassmen and they had state qualifiers. I'm not sure if the whole team made it that year or not, but it was a tough varsity team to make. So I think I spent most of my time on JV at that point. Uh, I lettered, but that was as far as I got in my freshman year. And then sophomore year, I did make varsity due to getting faster and also having some graduates. Uh, that year, I did not make it to the state meet, but uh, I believe I was all conference that year. Then junior year, it was time to buckle down and become one of the leaders because we only had uh, a few of the same varsity squad as previous years. And that year, I believe I won the conference meet and the region meet and went to state and did not do great there. Uh, probably around 40th place out of 100 plus. And then my senior year, I was one of the top varsity guys for the team. Uh, ended up winning a lot of meets, uh, but I also was focusing more on my ski training. So I did not win conference. I barely qualified for state. But once I got to state, I did really well. Uh, finished 15th all state with my fastest 5K cross country time ever. Nice. And then you did uh, Nordic as well, correct? Yes, I did. I was on the Nordic ski team seventh through 12th grade. But with the freshman year, uh, we always had a good class. Uh, the class of 96, there were several of us that were competitive. And we still had some guys on varsity that were really strong in our region and even on the state level. So for us, uh, freshmen, it was just a challenge to make varsity, which is pretty normal for most sports, I'm sure. And, oh, yeah. uh, but in the end, two of us ended up getting uh, all conference honors and we raced at the region meet and didn't qualify for state but that was still a successful year. In sophomore year, we had several people graduate 
And at that point, our class needed to be the fast guys for the team. We needed to be varsity. And I feel like we picked up where the other guys left off really well. Uh, we always had a couple guys in the top five at every meet. And in the end, uh, quite a few of us made all conference. I won the region meet, qualified for state. We had a tricky day at state with the snow conditions and I finished in the middle of the pack. So junior year, came back, trained a little bit harder. And that year, everyone on the team stepped up. We were the force of the conference and the region. Uh, I won the conference meet as well as the region. Our team just missed going to state. And when I went as an individual to state, I finished third place. So that gave me a lot of motivation for my senior year. And I was a favorite everywhere I went to race my senior year. I won the majority of the races and other guys on my team were right there with me. We would typically have probably most of varsity in the top 10 at our races. Uh, ended up winning the conference meet, won the section meet again. And this time the whole team qualified for state. And we had huge goals. Well, really one goal, we wanted to win. And we got there and we put it all out there, but it just wasn't enough. Uh, I was able to finish third again individually, but our team was not quite able to come out with the victory. Part of that is that in cross country skiing, there are two techniques. There's classic and skating. Mm -hmm. Skating is just how it sounds, and classic is the parallel track skiing that is more the traditional style. That year was the first year for the classic technique to come back after skating had been the only technique for several years. And our team had not maybe put the time in that some of the other teams had going into the state meet. Gotcha. So looking back on that too, so um, it sounds like the team, you guys really kind of, I don't know if grinding's the right word, but you guys really kind of came together and worked really hard and gelled together um, throughout that kind of four years. So looking back on that, talk about the improvement process for you personally or for the team. What did that kind of look like for you? I feel like for you, maybe the both sports you you did cross country and Nordic skiing. That improvement was kind of that straight line up. You know, you made that improvement every year with no real big plateaus. And it sounds like the team was the same way. So once again, what did the improvement process look like for you? What did the training look like in the off season during the season? Um, and what did the training look like as a group? Did you guys really come together uh, in the off season or during the season? Um, what did that look like? Well, yeah, we had all started pretty much around the same time. Most of us started running and skiing in middle school and we spent so much time together that those were our friends. 
and we had differences, but those were the guys we wanted to be with. And it was competitive, but never in a negative way. Mm -hmm. And so every chance we had to get together in the summer, we would come up with silly little challenges, but looking back, it was really good training. And what I mean by silly challenges would be, we would run over to Prescott, swim at the beach, and then run back, run across the bridge and back home. Or we would do, now that I think about it, it sounds kind of gross, but we would do a triathlon where we started the swim in Lake Rebecca. <laughs> and then we would bike up Second Street Hill and go on some running route. And we, we made up names for our little events. We had real race numbers. We even tried to make the equipment that the best guys on TV had that we would see riding bikes or whatever. So we had the, the fake aerodynamic helmets and things like that. Uh, those times were probably the first couple years in high school. After that, we were able to drive around. And with that, we had more access to better training methods. And at that time, we were not allowed to train with our high school coaches during the summer. But there were a lot of top level coaches operating summer camps around the Twin Cities. And we would fill up uh, all the cars that we could round up and go to these training sessions in Bloomington and areas of the Southwest Twin Cities. Uh, those were beneficial, obviously, for the training, but also for the time spent together. And it wasn't really spoken so much what our common goals were, but everyone knew their role. And we were counting on each other, but we knew that we also needed to take care of our own business. Mm -hmm. Is this something that you think, looking back now, you put in a ton of training um, with all, all sorts of different um, you know, types, you know, riding and running and swimming and all that kind of stuff. Do you think that's something you would have done on your own? Obviously, I think maybe uh, guessing a little bit of it, but do you think making sure that it was a group effort and all the guys on the team were together, do you think that had a big impact on you kind of propelling you forward? I think so. Yeah, I, I had a high level of motivation, but at the same time, it's really nice to have another idea. And I wouldn't have done one of these little triathlon or duathlon with the running and swimming things that we did. I probably wouldn't have done that on my own. I would have just done a normal just one activity, just a run, just on my own. And some people have a tough time getting out the door for that. Uh, and I think at that point, I was someone like that. My training was pretty minimal in the summers until getting into middle school. And I think some people had even a more difficult time getting motivated to start their 
summer training. And by including them and making it something that wasn't as daunting and could be fun, I think that helped everyone on the team. For sure. One of the questions we like to ask is uh, a best teammate. And that's very, very hard, especially when people do multiple sports. So yep. who do you think some of these guys, you're talking about a couple of different sports and really training together. So who are some of those guys that you, you ran with and really trained together and, and kind of propelled you forward uh, during these kind of group uh, group efforts here? Yeah, well, uh, I'm glad you recognize the best uh as being a little difficult, mm -hmm. but I will mention a couple that were uh, integral to my development. And one would be Todd Sammons. He graduated a year before me. We ran track and cross country together, but he swam in the winter. Uh, he was a really strong cross country runner. And we had a competitive relationship that never had a downside that I saw anyway. Uh, you know, sometimes late in a race, he would show up and he would pass me, but he was always encouraging. Other times it might go the other way, but I knew that he was always going to be a solid part of the team and he was quiet he'd be surprised to hear that he's being mentioned, but he was very important. And no one ever had a bad thing to say about Todd. Uh, as far as after high school, if I can go there. Oh, yeah. I had a teammate that changed my mindset when I didn't even realize I had some thoughts. And this was in 1997. I had just made the world junior team in biathlon. And biathlon is cross-country skiing and rifle shooting. I had made the junior team, which was the top five athletes under 20 years old. Once you make these teams, you are on a plane to Europe within two days. And I had a teammate from Northern Minnesota that had been on the team the prior year. His name was Brett Miller. And he, he told me once we got to the airport, he said, we're not as bad as you think we are. <laughs> and it really hit me because I had seen results from some of our uh, older athletes and, and I just figured we would be back of the pack compared to the Europeans because they're traditionally strong teams. But once we got to Italy and raced, he was exactly right. We belonged. We had a teammate medal and it was really meaningful that he stopped me from having negative thoughts before I even knew I had them. That's pretty awesome. And then uh, I know we'll get to that stuff, uh, kind of your post high school in a second. Uh, let's rewind just a little bit. Let's get back to the Hastings High School just for a second. Sure. And uh, two questions that I always ask, 
and they're kind of similar, but if you could break them up, that'd be great. So, um, you ran cross country, you did Nordic skiing as well. You had some great high school uh, teammates around you, great high school coaches as well. But what do you think one of your most rewarding experiences was at Hastings high school? And then the next question is one of your favorite moments as a high school athlete. Oh, I think that my, <clears throat> as far as moments, when we got the Nordic ski team to state our senior year, it was the culmination of six years of training for most of the guys on the team, some, mm -hmm. some even longer. And that was really important for me to get the whole team there because they had seen that I had gone to state the previous two years. We had another teammate, Dan Lindner, that had made it the two years prior but once we could get our whole team there we knew it was all worthwhile and what was the second part of the question uh, the most rewarding experience oh i know they're, they're kind of they're kind yeah. of similar and they're kind of tricky to yeah, ask back to back but it's similar but we could break them up yeah. Uh, yeah. You're going to have to do some editing on this one, I think, but okay. uh, <clears throat> that one's going to be tough. Uh, That's okay. I feel, we... like, I feel like they're probably about the same yeah. for me. You know, I was going to ask you then about the favorite moment, um, making it as a team to the Nordic state tournament if you could maybe describe that in one word, because I know for at least coaching, for, for example, um, there's a lot of emotions that uh, come around with winning, right? Sometimes uh, it's, it's relief, right? Um, that's what know, I was going to say. Yeah. So that's, that's what I was going to ask you. If it, you know, it feels like, uh, and I kind of described it lately with one of my athletes this year, it's kind of like a, a toilet flushing, right? It was just that kind of release and, and everything went the right way. Um, you know, sometimes you have that big win and it's a lot of excitement. You know, sometimes um, you're just that much better as a team and it's just uh, maybe just an unfinished business kind of feel. So I know you kind of said it was that relief feeling. So uh, maybe just dive into that for just a minute or two, if you can, did that, what did that really feel like? I know you already said relief, but. Sure. Well, yeah, we felt that we could qualify for state for a couple years. And as juniors, we just missed it. It didn't happen. But when it came together, our senior year, we qualified. There was initially quite a bit of excitement. Our team hadn't gone to state for a few years. But after that immediate excitement, it was relief. And I feel like that could have had an impact on our performance when we did get there because maybe the goal wasn't high enough. And maybe the goal to get there uh, was just so much uh, effort that we didn't put enough thought into turning it into a championship. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. So maybe like a, you know, you climb climbing a mountain, it's like the false peak, you know, so you, you think that's a, 
that's where your, your goal is to make it as a team. And, and you don't really believe that you can take that next step, huh? Yeah, I think that's part of it. And that might have looked a little different had we made it one of the previous mm -hmm. years, but it's difficult to reach your highest level and then go to the next level a week later when you feel like this is this is great i think it takes a special individual or team to celebrate quickly and then refocus mm -hmm. and know that you've done what you can you've done all the work but when you get to the competition that really matters you need to put everything you've got into that for sure you named a lot of coaches that you had uh kind of in the beginning of the podcast here if you want to take a second to maybe rename them or maybe just pick out one or two coaches that really had a big impact on you maybe a life lesson that they taught you maybe something that you can really uh, think about that really had a lasting impact on you so maybe who are those coaches uh, if you just want to say their names uh, one more time yeah john dewall and Rick Wheeler, they were the coaches for the cross-country ski team. And what they taught us was that skiing doesn't have to end after high school. And what I mean by that is we had several athletes that went on to ski for Division I colleges, Olympic trials, uh, junior Olympics, all sorts of different opportunities after high school. And it was, it was those two coaches that would bring in alumni and they were not only inviting, they, it was basically assumed that after graduation, you would come back and you would check on the team. And that meant more to us than they could probably even know. Uh, when we would see the guys that we grew up idolizing come back with their college uniform on, or they would come back from some competition and tell us about it. And uh, it was, it was really nice that they didn't feel the need to control the team so much that they couldn't allow someone else to come in and give their point of view. For sure. So you kind of already mentioned it. Uh, you, you got into the biathlon. Uh, take us, then you graduated Hastings, from Hastings High School in 1996. Give us what that looked like after that, where you went to college, you talked about your major before as well. And then um, let's get into all your accomplishments after college as well, and, or during college and, and maybe post-college as well, because I know there's a lot to talk about after that as well. Sure. So I'll start with how I got into biathlon in the first place. Mm -hmm. uh, when I was racing in high school, my, my highest goal at the time was to win the state meet. And then, like I said, we did have 
coaches that encourage thinking beyond that, but it was tough because there's such an emphasis put on the state championship for high school. Uh, but what I did was I found a training camp I wanted to go to, a coach I wanted to work with, and I went to this camp after my junior year. Well, I didn't know at the time, but they brought in junior national team coaches from the biathlon team, and they let us shoot, and they watched us, and they picked several athletes to go to another camp, and they just recruited a few of us to see how we could deal with the skiing shooting combination. Once I found out about biathlon, I was on a new track oh. <laughs> completely. <laughs> Before that, it was win the state meet, then go ski at a college, ski for Alaska Anchorage or one of the big name universities for cross country skiing. Uh, I didn't even know how to go about that. So I was fortunate that biathlon found me. And so what I did once I graduated was I joined the team at Northern Michigan University. Uh, I was not part of the university team, but at the time we had what was called the US Olympic Education Center. And it was a special dorm that was set up for athletes training for Olympic sports so we could still attend class. But our coach worked around the school schedule and we were able to train at a high level two to three times per day. And during my first year there, I qualified for the junior world team for the US as well as the World University Games team, which is uh, the highest collegiate level competition for winter sports. For that, I traveled to South Korea and for the World Junior Championships, I traveled to Italy to compete. Nice, and then keep on going with that too, I guess, uh, any major accomplishments <laughs> that came from either of those tournaments and then yeah. Uh, keep on, keep on, uh, let's keep on okay. pulling the string here with the biathlon. I wasn't, I wasn't sure how far you wanted me to go with this, but I, I got a way, I got a lot I can talk about. Oh yeah. Uh, so, um, in South Korea, I didn't have great results. It was still really only a year into my biathlon career and when you're starting off, you have some really good days, but the consistency is not there. And a great example of this is when I was at the World Junior Championships in Italy, the first individual race, I shot 15 out of 15, which we call cleaning. If you hit every target, you cleaned the race. Well, I did that. I had a great finish. I was uh, in the top 20. And two days later, I hit three out of 10. 
So I went from 100% to 30% shooting yeah. in two days. Uh, so after that, I had one more year of biathlon eligibility as a junior. I went back to Northern Michigan to train and trained there with some new teammates, but the same coaches and made the next year's junior team. And that year we traveled to Quebec, Canada for our competitions. And individually, I didn't finish as high as I did the previous year, but I was more consistent and our whole team was really strong. We had everyone in the top 25. Uh, and you need a little bit of an idea of the field size. It's probably about 75 athletes. So everyone in the top third is a pretty solid showing. Uh, also after that, we traveled to Russia. We did uh, some European cup races and uh, did really well in those, finished top 10 and those are similar fields to what we had at the world championships and here's where it gets a little bit weird with my story so after 98 uh everything's changing for me in biathlon i'm not a junior anymore i've got to get into the senior ranks but it's difficult it's kind of like being a freshman trying to make varsity you come in, you were doing great at the previous level, and then you have to go against the best. We had what was called a bridging team, which was to keep the interest up while we made our progress to the upper senior ranks. And a few of my teammates and I moved to Park City, Utah at this time with the thought of training at the Salt Lake Olympic venue. While that was a great idea, the venue was not ready for us when we got there. And so we just ended up being four guys training in the mountains and uh, shooting when we could. We didn't have great structure there. Uh, so we ended up having to travel back to work with our coach who was still in Michigan. Uh, in order to get some quality training in. And that year, I did not qualify for any teams and just raced domestically and in Canada. Uh, after that, there were a couple years that were pretty difficult for me, racing and training-wise. I was still living in Park City, Utah, but I was not part of a team anymore because the bridging team had folded. Uh, so I tried to train on my own. Two of my four teammates that I had moved there with had retired from competition. So it was down to two of us. Well, the other guy made the national team and I didn't. <laughs> so, what did I do? I bought a truck, moved into it, and 
kept trying to train as much as I could. After probably six months living in the truck, working odd jobs at odd hours, I was a, a baker at a bagel shop. Uh, my coach from Minnesota called me and said, if you're serious about making this Olympic team, you've got to come home. Yeah. And it hurts the pride to move back in with mom and dad. But at the same time, when you have a goal, you've got to find your way to get to it. And that's what I had to do. So I, I moved back in, in uh, fall of 2000 to train with my coach, uh, who's based in the Twin Cities, Piot Bednarski. And training got a lot better at that point, And I started making real progress again. Working with him the first year, uh, I didn't make the national team yet, but I did do really well domestically. I was racing some just plain cross country ski races and winning some of those, but the shooting still needed work even after six years in the sport. We, you never figure it out, but we made big improvements. So the following year, we spent a lot of time training in Utah on the Olympic course prior to the Olympic trials. And the majority of the time was in the Twin Cities, but we'd go to Utah for a couple of weeks at a time to train. And the importance of that is the, uh, each shooting range has its own little tricks that you've got to figure out. And so the more time we spent there, uh, the more prepared we would be for the Olympic trials. Gotcha. So ready to keep going? Oh yeah. Okay. So now Olympic trials, it's a very stressful week probably one of the most stressful of my life at that point and the reason why is all that matters is your performance that week it's four races you take your best three and you can throw one out so first race finish second and what i need is an average of fourth across the three races i keep the second race i finish fourth and I'm starting to feel pretty good about things. The third race, I'm winning after three shooting stages. I've hit 14 out of 15, but the last time I come in to shoot, I miss four out of five. And I go from first to eighth in that race. But there's no time to be sad because the last race that counts is the final day. So after being upset for, a couple, maybe several hours, I realized I've got to recover and get myself in the right mindset to perform for my last chance. So the next day I come out, start the race, and I miss two the first time I come in to shoot, which is not a good place to be. Come back in to shoot the second stage, I hit all five. And then it's tight. And I ski with everything I've got to the finish. I end up sixth on the day, and it's just enough to make that fourth spot for the team. Wow. And the way I find out about it is on live TV. 
with the guy that did not make it, which is a pretty uncomfortable interview to have. <laughs> so uh, we make the team. And like every other time, once you make the team, you get your plane tickets and you're off. This time to Germany for a couple World Cups, then back to the US for training camp to make final preparations for the Salt Lake Olympics. And once we returned to Utah and to Salt Lake, it was a whole nother world. The Olympics had taken over. Traffic went from relatively calm to you can barely get anywhere. But uh, it was all worth it. Uh, one of the interesting things is we didn't stay in the athlete village because our races were so far away. Uh, but after our competitions were complete, we, we were able to spend a little time in the village. But I want to say that walking into the opening ceremonies in your home country with your biggest supporters, your parents in the crowd, uh, it's got to be one of the highlights of my life. Mm -hmm. So I guess two questions then. Um, and once again, the favorite thing is, is kind of a, a, a heavy hitter that I have in the art in the interview here. But if you could pick your favorite thing from the Olympics, maybe uh, you, you talked about the opening games uh, being maybe an eye-opening experience. So uh, maybe it's that, or maybe one of your other things that really sticks out is one of your favorite things for the Olympics. Uh, let's hear about that. And then obviously, um, if you just want to go through the results of, of being uh, at the Olympics too, and as an Olympian, let's hear about that. Sure. Well, yeah, obviously opening ceremonies is a very special time. We had just gone through September 11th as a country at that point. And to see the flag come out uh, in the Olympic Stadium was really touching. Uh, one of my teammates was a veteran that was able to be one of the flag bearers for that. Uh, and that was really special. Uh, another memorable, on a lighter note, uh, memory I have is because security was so tight, there were metal detectors all over the place, everywhere you wanted to go. But if you think about the sport I compete in, it includes a rifle. Mm -hmm. And what I thought was really interesting, and I don't think I'll ever have this happen to me again in my life, but walking up to a metal detector with a rifle on my back, taking it off and handing it to the security guard, walking through the metal detector and having him hand it back to me. So that, that was uh, a daily occurrence. That yeah. was part of our daily training on site and also getting in for our races. Uh, the races themselves were solid races for me, but my level at that point wasn't as high as you would need to be a podium finisher. Uh, I was shooting an average of 70 or 80% typically in my races to be on the podium. You need to be more like 90% or better. Uh, 
I raced in the 20K individual race. I uh, hit 70% of my targets in that and finished, oh, quite a ways back. <laughs> I was in the 70s, I believe, and we probably had 85 to 90 uh, athletes in that. Gotcha. I also raced in the relay. It's a four-person relay. I was the third leg for the United States, and I had a decent leg. I ended up hitting nine out of my 10 targets there, and uh, our team finished 15th in the relay. And those were the two competitions I participated in at Salt Lake. Gotcha. So after the 2002 Olympics, did you continue with the biathlon? Was that kind of just... Uh, maybe it was just <laughs> time to kind of hang it up after your whole experience with it. Or obviously I'm going to guess that you continued Nordic skiing for me, some fun and stuff like that too, but maybe take us a, a little bit after that as well. And, and what, sure. uh, what it looked like for you. Yeah. Uh, well, after 2002, I was named to the national team, which is kind of a unique order to do things in. I mean, I made the Olympics without ever racing a world cup. So then made the Olympics, then raced a world cup, then got named to the national team. And that's basically backward of how you would usually see it. But anyway, made the national team. I moved to Vermont, trained in Vermont for fall of 02. And the winter season of 02, 03, I was on uh, the Europa Cup team, so it's a one step below the World Cup. I raced that for a bit, got results that were good enough to get moved up to the World Cup, and then we needed to come back to the U.S. from Europe and re-qualify to try to make World Championships. Here's where I made things hard on myself one more time. I was in a race in Vermont and it wasn't a race that was even important, but we were doing it for training to stay sharp. At this point, I did all my races without gloves and had not had any issues with getting too cold or anything like that because usually we're protected by the races not being held if temperatures get too cold. Well, this race was put on with an illegal temperature, but I still probably should have put gloves on, obviously. But what happened was I ended up doing it anyway, got frostbite on several fingers, hypothermia, had to go to the hospital, and immediately after that, got the flu. Well, that would be fine for most people, except that I needed to be on top of my game two weeks later for U.S. Nationals to qualify for World Championships. Somehow, all the time off, resting and recovering from all this, I was able to come to Nationals fresh, win one of the races, and then go to world championships in Siberia. Uh, over there, I 
was finishing quite a bit better than I had previously in any World Cups or Olympics. I was in the top half of the field and usually second American. Uh, but after going to those competitions, I came back to the US with the plan of going to Montana for the summer just to train and just have a little bit of time away from uh, team atmosphere. Well, I was not renamed to the national team after that. And I decided it's pretty fun to live in Montana. I think I'll stick it out here. I'm, I found friends that are not the kind of people that ski twice a day. They like to do other things like fishing and backpacking and all the things that were put on hold for all the years I competed. But I couldn't stay away from skiing completely. Uh, I got involved with the Bridger Ski Foundation in Bozeman. I uh, was part of a, an elite training group there and did some of the major cross-country ski races in really the whole U.S. I raced cross-country skiing nationals. I did some of the major marathons. Uh, and the following year, I got together with three other guys from Hastings that I skied with. And the goal was to ski all the major marathons in the US in one winter. So the four of us drove, flew, made our way around the entire country, including Alaska, however we could, skiing these races. It included lots of couch surfing and uh, oh, lots of good memories for yeah. sure. Uh, and then uh, after that, I, I took a little bit of a break. I didn't really, I didn't train like I should have for those marathons. So I suffered. The other guys did better. Uh, but the following year, I got a call from the coach, the Nordic ski coach at Montana State. And she asked if I wanted to come ski for the team. And I thought, well, you know, college is the only level I haven't skied at. So I, I'd be really into that. But unfortunately, my eligibility had run out because I started college about eight years earlier. So then she said, well, do you want to coach with me? And uh, said, sure. So I was the assistant Nordic ski coach at Montana State for four years. And then I got an itch to try to get back to the Olympics for 2010. So I retired from my coaching position and tried to train on my own. But like my coach told me eight years earlier, you're not going to get it done on your own. And I didn't quite make it happen. I just was so close, but I just missed the 2010 Olympic team. Uh, but I was okay with it. I gave it a shot. Uh, and uh, I was able to mostly move on with my life. Although I still like to find competitions uh, really however strange it might be. The latest is skiing winter ultra marathons up to 135 miles at this point. Oh boy. 
was 2010. Um, was that the biathlon as well that you were trying out for for the Olympics? Yes, it was. Okay, gotcha. So, then you uh, talking about your journey after uh, after high school here? I mean, some of the places I wrote down. I mean, Italy, South Korea, Quebec, not too far away, but we'll, we'll consider Quebec yep. a destination here, right? So, uh, um, geez, Siberia, uh, and going all over the United States as well. Just some of the places you named. Once again, the favorite question is coming out here. If you could talk about maybe one of your favorite locations uh, that you traveled, I know you went all over the world here. Uh, what what one place maybe really sticks out to you uh, that you really enjoyed going to? Um, maybe the culture, maybe the food, maybe just the experiences. So what do you think that, that favorite place was for you? Okay, so, you know, when you, when you put it that way, favorite, there's, I would have to say it would be northern italy the food the ability to ski around the dolomite mountains in the sunshine and just put your skis on right outside of your hotel room and ski around a mountain valley it's pretty special for a guy from hastings who Mm -hmm. skied in a lot of cloudy and cold days because in hastings it seems like if it's clear in the winter, it's 20 below. And that's part of what's kept me in Montana also is the winter is so much longer. We have a sunny days that aren't frigid and uh, yeah, lots of ski opportunities. But my favorite is, I would say, Northern Italy. Gotcha. So you talked about trying out for the Olympics again in, in 2010. Um, walk us through maybe just the last uh, 10, 12 years here, um, your current family situation, uh, your occupation, and you talked about being in uh, Montana as well. And we talked before you're in Belgrade, Montana right now, but just talk about your current, um, just keep us up to, or just, like I said, speed us up in the last 10 to 12 years. What that was that look like for you? Sure. Well, there's been a lot of changes. I finally graduated from Montana State with a degree in land rehabilitation in the fall of 2010. Uh, so for those who aren't so good at math, that's 14 and a half years after Hastings. Reminds uh, me of and, Tommy boy there. <laughs> yep. Pretty much. That's, uh, that's four different schools. That's Northern Michigan, University of Utah, University of Minnesota before Montana state. Uh, after that, uh, wanted to get rid of the student loans. So I went out to North Dakota to the drilling rigs and did that for a couple years. Uh, not the most enjoyable job, but uh, it's lucrative for sure. Uh, but you miss a lot of family opportunities. And I, at that point, had a serious, well, I guess we got married right around the time I started there. Uh, my wife and I, we've been together since 2004. Uh, married in 2011 and uh, she's from Montana she made it easy to stay here and now we have two little boys that are five and seven so preschool and first grade and what we're doing now is just trying to get them outside and uh, they love to ice fish and ride bikes cross country and downhill ski and uh really anything they can do to play in the water 
if it's on a beach or in a boat, they are all about it. Uh, I'm still involved in skiing. I've been a professional ski instructor now the past seven years. Uh, that's just my part-time uh, seasonal position. And the rest of the year, I, well, all year round, every year, I sell real estate uh, in and around Bozeman and uh, primarily residential, but sometimes a uh, little bit of recreational land or multifamily properties also. Gotcha. Last couple of questions then for you here, Dan. Um, we like to ask these at the end and, and get some takeaways for our coaches, our parents, and, and our athletes as well. So looking back on your high school experience, cross-country skiing, Nordic skiing, biathlon, cross-country skiing after college as well. So if you could take all those experiences uh, and, had, and, and could give parents or coaches two pieces of advice, what do you think they would be and why? Well, my thoughts are that the athletes will bring their motivation. It's most likely not going to be created by the coach. I think the coach can give a direction to the energy and at times improve the energy, but the athlete has to have their own passion. And without that, there's no chance they'll reach the top results that they're capable of. And the other thing that I think of is not everybody is looking for the podium. They don't, not everyone wants to be at the top. And if you, people are willing to admit that and do the do the work it takes to get the result they're looking for. I don't see anything wrong with that. If they expect to be at the top without doing the work, well, then they can forget about it. <laughs> uh, that's my thought. It's my parents didn't push me. They gave me the opportunities. Uh, they introduced me to cross country skiing. They weren't even skiers, but when I would come home with some idea like, I'm going to be on the ski team rather than, well, that's uh, not really a good idea. Or uh, you got to do that. You have to uh, get into every single training opportunity. It was, well, uh, okay, what, what can we do to help? And I think that was just right for me as an athlete because I came with a lot of motivation and uh, yeah, it's, I think it's important to avoid burnout by specializing too early. For sure. Last question then, very similar, same kind of thing. If you had to give uh, now student athletes two pieces of advice from your experiences, what do you think they would be and why? I think you need to take care of yourself. And by that, I mean, now more than ever, it's really easy to see what every other person does for their training, but everyone is different and they will have a different 
response to the training than you will. And if you try to just pick up somebody else's training plan and do what they do, it's not exactly right for you. That's one. My other is think about the little things. And I feel like that's what got me where I was going to go. When I was growing up, there was a Nike poster. I believe it was Nike. And the saying was something to the effect of everywhere in the world, somebody else is training. Uh, make sure that you're training harder than them. Well, that's terrific, except that you have to recover from the training also. So I thought, what can I do that is going to be the most beneficial with the least effort? And I'm going to start with that. So I am going to be one of the best at recovery. And part of that is because I like to sleep. And when I started to see the results from recovering well and taking the time to recover, whether it's with an ice bath or stretching or, you know, making sure you're hydrated. I just paid attention to all those things because without that, it didn't help to do all the training. Uh, and I would say that's, that's something that can work for athletes at all levels in all sports. And sometimes it's not the trying harder that's going to get you there. Sometimes you have to step back and think about, well, how can I do this more efficiently? Or how can I make the most of my time? And maybe I can do something that's not physical that will help me improve. Gotcha. That is awesome stuff. Dan, that's all the questions I got for you. I took up plenty of your time here. So if you have anything else you want to add in, any other shout outs, anything I forgot to ask you, you can go for it right now. The mic is yours. All right. Well, thank you, Tim. Uh, I want to thank all of Hastings for the support over the years, the fundraising. I still remember that the banners uh, in town from 20 years ago. And uh, yeah, go Raiders. Awesome. Thanks, Dan. Thank you, Tim.